This is Living Lean, the show that teaches you how to apply the science of nutrition and training to sustainably create your leanest, strongest body and build the most confident version of yourself. I'm your host, Jeremiah Bear. Let's get into the show. Yo, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that new intro. It's dope. I like it a lot. I know it was on the last episode also. If you haven't listened to the last episode, this is your first time hearing it, I'm just rambling right now. But intro sounds great. We sound a lot more legit now. I'm stoked about it. Anyways, let's get into today's Q&A. We have some great questions. I'm stoked to answer these. First question, do you use or recommend anything intro workout? So yes, I do use highly branched cyclic dextrin intro workout. So what this is, this is a carb source that has a very fast rate of gastric emptying. Basically, we can digest it and actually use it very quickly. Now, I do recommend this to a few of my clients, but only the most advanced clients, the clients that are dialed in. Because the reality is, when we're looking at changing your body composition, whether that's for fat loss, if you're focused on fat loss, or building lean muscle, or most, or, or both, excuse me, then we have a very clear hierarchy of what matters the most to what matters the least. And supplements are a lot closer to what matters the least than what matters the most. So for my clients, for my online clients, I never recommend anything like, I recommend very few supplements outside of your basics, like maybe a multivitamin, fish oil, creatine, and um, a greens powder if you're someone that struggles to get your greens. Outside of that, it's very rare that I recommend anything else. Maybe caffeine if you're somebody that needs more energy before your training. And even those, none of those are even like noticeable effects. They were basically just checking the boxes to make sure that you're not going to have any nutrient deficiencies, anything like that. We're doing what we need to, for you to feel good. But when we're getting into things like highly branched cyclic dextrin, for example, it is a very, very minute difference that it will make. So before we worry about anything like this in your training we want to make sure you're crazy consistent with your overall calorie goals your macros you're eating quality food your sleep is on point you're crazy consistent with your training you're getting all your daily movement goals in and then that's when we can talk about supplements because if we talk about supplements at any point before that if you're focusing on supplements but you're missing all these other things you're missing the forest for the trees and you're not gonna be getting the results that you could be. Like that's the very clear order of our big rock, so to speak. The things that give us the most bang for our buck. So we're moving down this progression of the things that give us the most bang for our buck. And once you have all those boxes ticked, then okay, we can focus on things like intro workout. Kind of a long tangent, but it is important to understand because so many people when they start online coaching with me have come to come to in this position where it's like, I've been taking this supplement and this supplement, but I'm still not getting the results I want. It's like we need to take our focus back to these foundational principles that are actually the most important for changing your body. Okay, so anyways, for clients that do take something like an intra-workout carb, I typically recommend about 25 grams of carbs from something like highly branched cyclic dextrin, or I even have, I have one client that takes UCAN, which is a starch, is very similar. Not quite the same as an HBCD, but pretty similar and very similar effects. So here, what we're doing is one, this is gonna help fuel your training a bit. Now it still does take some time, it's not like you drink it. 
and immediately you have those carbs with that you will still be able to use them to fuel your workout a bit and again it's not going to be a crazy difference the most important thing here is that when we take in carbs that is going to create an insulin response which in turn is going to blunt cortisol so cort the hormones cortisol and insulin have an inverse relationship so as insulin increases cortisol de decreases so what we're doing here training is obviously a stress on our body and when we expose our body to stress, when we create stress or when we're in stressful situations, I should say, levels of cortisol rise, tell our body basically that we need to mobilize stored energy, be that fat, um, could be glycogen, could be muscle tissue. Now, some cortisol is good, and I've talked about this already in depth on our podcast or on this podcast, but the thing is that cortisol response is elevated for too long it's mobilizing too much energy and then like when we're in training we need to be in a recovery state if our cortisol levels are still elevated then our body is still sensing that it needs to mobilize stored energy and it further and further depletes whatever like glycogen we might have stored and even muscle things like that and really this depends on how fed you are but you can understand why if you're somebody that's chasing the most optimal gains being in a catabolic state where cortisol is elevated even long after your workout is less than ideal so drinking something like this that is going to create an increase in insulin and decrease cortisol is beneficial because it helps us get into an anabolic state sooner not only post-workout but actually even during your training now, we also want to be smart with this because, again, some cortisol does help. It gets in that fight-or-flight state. It really ramps you up and gets you ready to move. So how I like to do this, and just anecdotally, for me personally, if I drink, if I like start drinking my highly branched cyclic dexter in like 20 to 30 minutes before I go to the gym, say I get caught up answering emails, which happens all the time, and I start drinking my highly branched cyclic dexter before I go, then I have trouble with like my main list. So say I'm going to start with deadlifts. Typically I'll start with one to two compound movements, my metric based movements where I'm really focused on pushing the weight and I wanna be explosive. I have a lot more trouble ramping myself up and being as explosive in those movements. In situations like that are really where we need more cortisol. We need to be explosive. And then, so typically like about halfway through my first couple metric based movements, when later on I'm gonna do more accessory work where I am focusing more on a pump and really feeling my muscle connection. And it's okay if those cortisol levels are a lot lower and I can kickstart the recovery process. Then, so about halfway through my metric based movements, I typically start drinking it. And so then by that point, when I get into those accessory movements and my auxiliary lifts, then that cortisol can start decreasing. So I'm um, kind of long-winded there, but that's really how I go about it. If you are somebody that wants to implement this, just remember again your order of priorities when it comes to changing your body composition, and this is far from the most important thing. Next question, if someone is going to train only one time per week to maintain strength, what should they do? So this is the rare situation, and this is someone I've gone back and forth with a couple times about this, but this is the rare situation where she truly doesn't want to build any more muscle or any more strength. She just wants to maintain where her current musculature is at and her current strength level and really just focus on losing fat. So here, you have to go full body. Obviously, we wanna to try to touch on every muscle group 
if your goal is to maintain wherever your muscle group is at. Now, to make do that in the most time efficient manner, then you essentially just need to train some variation of squat or a knee dominant movement, which could also be a lunge variation, a hinge, a push, and a pull. Now, as long as we've checked those boxes, we know that you've essentially trained your entire body. You've essentially trained every muscle group in your entire body. And I would also be sure to add in some type of anti-movement or like a loaded carry there. But we know that you can maintain on about one third of the volume or think the number of hard sets it takes you to grow. So when you're assigning like how many sets you're gonna do here, you could literally just look at, okay, when it comes to a hinge pattern, how many hard sets was I doing per week? So maybe you were doing four sets of a barbell deadlift per week and four sets of a hip thrust per week. So eight total sets of hinge. So you know you need to do about a third of that. Now, obviously this isn't an exact science because a barbell deadlift is gonna work some muscles that a hip thrust isn't, but you don't need to split hairs here too much. I would just look at it as movement patterns and try to equate it to about a third of the volume. And I'm guessing this will equal, um, and I believe that this woman was training three times a week before. So I'm guessing this will be anywhere from three to four sets per movement pattern. But personally from there, how I would set this up is, and I'm guessing if it's if you just want to maintain where you're at, you wanna spend minimal time in the gym also. So how I would set this up is almost ex exclusively supersets. So when we're supersetting full body, we wanna alternate between posterior and anterior. So basically backside of your body, front side of your body, or you can think push, pull. And we also wanna alternate lower body and upper body. So the first superset I would do is some type of deadlift variation supersetted with an upper body horizontal push. So you could do something like a trap bar deadlift, rest 1.5 minutes, go into a dumbbell bench press or like some type of incline bench press, again, rest 1.5 minutes, repeat for your three to four sets there. So there we've already hit a hinge, a push. Next, I would go into some type of split squat variation personally, because we wanna make sure one, that we're getting some type of unilateral work in here still, so we don't develop imbalances between our left and right leg. That's somewhat common. We wanna make sure that we're checking that box because it would be easy in a situation like this to only train bilateral movements, so like squats, deadlifts, using both limbs at the same time. So it's important that we get some type of unilateral work in here. So here's where I do like a split squat, and then I would superset that with some type of row. Our rowing pattern when it comes to our upper body pull, and again, there we're training split squat is more or less, if you set it up correctly with your feet, well, in this case, correctly, because we want it to be a more anterior dominant movement with your feet, a your front foot a little bit closer to the bench or closer to your back foot, it's gonna be more anterior dominant, and the row is gonna hit your upper back, we got our upper body pull there, obviously. The rowing pattern is a lot more important. The, or I should say the muscles that help us do the rowing pattern are a lot more important for our overall health, for our shoulder health, for our posture. Much more important to keep strong than a vertical pull. So for example, like a lat pull down or something from overhead. So here, since we're kind of choosing the biggest bang for your buck movements, I would definitely do a row instead of a vertical pull. So there, again, we're gonna go through three to four 
rounds. And then I would go into, for the final superset, some type of hamstring or glute isolation work supersetted with some type of anti-movement work. And again, do three to four rounds there, either hamstrings or glutes, because again, we're just looking to maintain one physique, but two, your overall health. And when we look at like overall here, we have a lot of emphasis on posterior because the muscles of your backside, glutes, hamstrings, and upper back are the muscles that are really gonna help keep, basically those are your foundational muscles, so to speak that really keep everything else pain-free. So typically if you have weak glutes, if you, or if you let your glutes get weak, your lower back will start to ache. Same thing with the hamstrings. Hamstrings also stabilize the knees. Upper back really stabilizes the shoulders. And again, helps us create quote unquote good posture. I know that's kind of debated whether that's a good thing or not, but it's important again for our overall shoulder health. So here we have a lot of posterior focus overall again and that's why either hamstring or glute isolation and then similarly with supersetting the, the core movement we need to make sure we're getting some type of anti-movement work in there so you're still training your core's ability to keep your spine stable so from there i mean really if you just did that those six movements so again it would be a deadlift variation superset with a horizontal push a split squat variation superset with the row and some type of hamstring and glute isolation work supersetted with some type of anti-movement core work, there you would be good. From there though, if you wanna do a bit more, I would touch on, I would do some type of finisher, which would honestly be some type of EDT or some type of AMRAP where we're doing, we're setting a timer. So let's say like five minutes and we're gonna do three or five, we're gonna do three movements we're gonna to try to fit as many rounds as we can into five minutes. So for example, here, we know we want a little bit more upper back volume because again, that's very important. We've only done one movement for your upper back. We want a little bit more delt volume. And this is just if we wanna make sure that we're touching on everything because while we did a horizontal press, we haven't done a ton to touch on anything but our front delts. And finally, if it was me personally, I would want some more arm volume. So here, for my finisher, I would do something like a five minute and wrap as many rounds as possible of like a 3D band pull apart. So there you're killing two birds in one stone. You're hitting your side delts, your rear delts and your upper back. And then let's say like just a classic dumbbell curl and then some type of band push down, some type of movement for your triceps. You could even do a bench dip, but there, very quickly, that'll probably take you about 30 to 40 minutes. You've hit your entire body and that should be enough volume to help you maintain all your strength and most of your musculature just training once a week. Next question, have you ever recommended a low FODMAP diet? So yes, I have a few times. Now, basically when online clients are experiencing gut issues, so think things like excessive gas, bloating, constipation, diarrhea, or even like we potentially think they have irritable bowel. First and foremost, always make sure, I always make sure that they go see a doctor, get that checked out because we wanna make sure that they don't have celiac disease. Now, if they're cleared from that, often people will come to the conclusion that, okay, well, I still have some type of gluten sensitivity. They eliminate gluten and 
they are still having all these symptoms. So oftentimes the actual culprit isn't gluten, it's carbohydrates that your small intestine has trouble digesting FODMAP. So the list of FODMAPs is a very long one, too long for me to go through on this podcast. If you're somebody that's struggling with this, I highly suggest you look it up. But the main distinction here is the foods you would eat on a low FODMAP diet and the foods you would eat on a gluten-free diet are different. Whereas FODMAPs are a carbohydrate, gluten is a protein. So oftentimes when people know they don't have celiac, when an online client knows they don't have celiac disease, but they are still struggling with these symptoms, instead of going gluten-free, it's logical to start by eliminating FODMAPs. And again, there's some that are more common more commonly create issues than others. For example, on a gluten-free diet, you could still eat many forms of dairy, whereas on a low FODMAP diet, it could turn out that maybe those sources of dairy were the actual problem. So again, to me, it just seems like a more logical place for clients that haven't been diagnosed with celiac to start. And I've found that to be a lot more productive for the few clients that I've worked with this on rather than going gluten-free. 99% of the time when clients start, and again, we know that they don't have celiac disease, then, but they're still complaining of gut issues. The reality is like when we get you consistently eating whole foods, 80 to 90% of the time, quote unquote, paleo-ish foods, so foods that came from the earth or had a face at one point, most of the time, for most people, that in itself heals all these issues like gas, um, diarrhea, just eating mostly whole foods. Because most people know like already that there's certain foods that are likely highly processed that bother them and just still aren't as consistent as they need to be with not including those in their diet. So this is really the beauty of accountability and having a coach. It just creates consistency with your nutrition. And truly, like for most people that complain, again, I would say at least 95%. There's been very few clients that have actually had to recommend low FODMAP too, because this almost always just more consistently eating almost all whole foods fixes the issue. So as a coach, before you recommend complex solutions like the FODMAP diet, start with the simplest boxes first and truly for most people it's just consistency with the simple things that's what you're missing and once we get that on point is typically problem solved and that is all the questions that we have for today if you enjoyed this episode if you've taken value from this podcast do me a huge favor take a screenshot of this share out on your instagram story and tag me i want to connect with you and i want to be able to grow the reach of this podcast that helps me out a ton. If you haven't done so already, do me another huge favor. Leave a five-star rating and review. That just helps me get more reach through iTunes. And again, reach more people, help more people with this podcast. And finally, if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit the link in the show notes to download the Lifestyle Diet. This is 100% free. I created this to teach you exactly what I do with my online clients to help them live a flexible lifestyle so that they can actually maintain their results long-term and still enjoy their lives. Again, this is 100% free. I can't recommend enough. The link is in my show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. 
This is Living League.